What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by Indochino, the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. It's also the latest installment of the Lockdown Blazers countdown to training camp. We're dedicating a full episode to every player on the roster to give you a brief but thorough look at what they'll bring to the Blazers. We'll look at how they performed last season, how they wound up on the Blazers. We'll talk best case and worst case scenarios for the upcoming year, and we'll finish this episode with a discussion of the expectations and likely role that they'll play with the Blazers. This is our fifth installment of the Countdown to Training Camp, so if you missed any, check out your podcast feed. Today we're going deep on Rodney Hood, so let's start evaluating his 2018-2019 season. Rodney Hood began the year in Cleveland before a trade deadline move sent him to the Blazers in exchange for Nick Stauskas, Wade Baldwin, and two second round picks that will convey in 2021 and 2023. On the whole, Rodney Hood averaged 12.2 points per game, 2.2 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and 26.3 minutes. He shot 43.5% from the field and 35.6 from beyond the arc. We'll break that up. In Cleveland, 11.2 points per game, about 43% from the floor, 36% from three. He played 45 games for the Cavs, all starts, and averaged about 27 minutes a night. After the trade to the Blazers, he averaged 9.6 points per game, shot better from the floor, 45.2%, a little bit worse from three, 34.5%. Appeared in 27 games, including four starts, and played 24 minutes, 24.5 minutes a night for the Portland Trail Blazers. On the whole, his counting numbers were a little bit worse for the Blazers, just because he played fewer minutes, um, had a reduced role slightly, um, but his efficiency was up. Um, for my nerds out there, love y'all. His effective field goal percentage in Portland was 52% up from about 49% in Cleveland. And Hood was a welcomed addition to the Blazers bench. I think it's worth noting that the two guys the Blazers sent out for him are not in the NBA this season. So really they exchanged guys that nobody wanted for two second round picks and two second round picks for Hood. It was basically just two second round picks for Hood. But like I said, he was a welcome addition to the bench. Uh, the Blazers went 19-8 and with him in the lineup after the trade. He played a little shooting guard, played a lot of small forward, played a handful of minutes of small ball power forward. He was a clear wing upgrade over Stauskas and Baldwin and whatever else, and he provided some individual offense that the other Blazers wings just didn't really have. Uh, and he was honestly a better complementary piece than the other bla- other option for the Blazers at that point was Seth Curry, because he's six foot eight, and playing next to Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, you'd better off being six foot eight than six foot two. Hood was good, and he was genuinely ha- genuinely happy to be in a situation where he could play competitive basketball again. Um, the previous year in Cleveland, obviously they went to the NBA Finals, but he never really had a consistent role, and reportedly uh, declined to go into a blowout of Game Four of the NBA Finals. Uh, he denies that, but uh, it seems like that was a thing that happened. The following year, the Cavs pivoted to being awful, one of the worst teams in the league in a, in a full-on rebuild. A full-on rebuild that included Kevin Love, but nonetheless, they were in rebuild mode. Hood wasn't super happy. 
And when he got to Portland, he was excited, not just to be part of a competitive basketball team, but to have a defined role on a team that was going to go forward in the playoffs. He didn't really have that defined role when he made the run to the championship of the Cavs previous season. With the Blazers, Hood was good. I've said that about a hundred times now, but he was good, and but never great. And then the playoffs came, and very briefly, he was invisible. He just didn't exist. In the opening round against OKC, he averaged 3.2 points per game. He shot 27% from the floor and was an abysmal 2-for-12 from 3 in that five-game series. He just looked like Rodney Hood, and the criticisms that he's got throughout the year, some inconsistencies, caught up to him at the worst time. But then against the Nuggets in round two, he had some matchups he could take advantage of. A little bit smaller guys on the wing that he could use his size to get shots over. The length that OKC bothered him with just didn't exist in round two. And in that series, he was awesome. Averaged 14.7 points per game, shot 57.6 from the field. 58% from the floor. He was 11 of 22 from deep. And the moment you remember, the shot you remember, actually, let's just play that now. Driving over two nuggets off the heel, got it back to Hood. He'll try a three and got it! Blazers by two! Time out, Denver! Yep, that's Rodney Hood canning a game-clinching three and four overtimes in Game 3 of the second round series to put the Blazers up two games to one. It was one of the biggest shots in franchise history. But Hood didn't have one moment against the Nuggets. He followed that up with 25 points in a season-saving Game 6 win in Portland. Let's not talk about the Western Conference Finals because nobody was particularly good, unless you're really into Myers Leonard's 25-point game in his final game as a Blazer. You should be. That one was pretty fun. But after those playoff heroics, the Blazers went into the summer bracing for Rodney Hood to leave. They, quite frankly, they just assumed that he was going to price himself out of their market. They were going into summer with the idea that they couldn't afford Rodney Hood because they only had the taxpayer mid-level exception. Then in the opening stages of free agency, he decided to prioritize happiness and a situation that he felt most comfortable in and take the $5.7 million deal and return to Portland. All told, the deal is about $12 million. He's got a player option for $6 million for 2020-2021. But Rodney Hood's coming back. And in the second segment, I want to talk about what that might mean for the Blazers. The best case scenario for Rodney Hood and the worst case scenario for Rodney Hood. But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about Indochino. The title sponsor for today's episode. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure menswear company. And this week, my listeners, that's you, can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com when entering the code LOCKEDON. So that's Indochino.com. Enter the code LOCKEDON at checkout. So we gave you the Rodney Hood 2018-2019 season review. Next up. Best case and worst case scenarios for Rodney's first full season in Portland. Now, I like to do a caveat at the beginning of this segment. This is the best case scenario within reason and worst case scenario without injury. I'm not predicting MVPs and I'm not predicting career-altering injuries. We're talking about a reasonable best case and a reasonable worst case for each player on the roster. 
So what's the best case scenario for Rodney Hood? It's that the consistency he's been searching for for the last few seasons finally materializes now that he's in a situation of his choosing where he feels comfortable. The best case scenario for Rodney Hood is that there's absolutely no question who should start at small forward. He wins that job in training camp and plays so well that throughout the season, there are no little birds chirping for Kent Bazemore or anyone else to steal Hood's minutes at the three. The best case scenario for Rodney Hood is that he averages north of 15 points per game and is the Blazers' third leading scorer from Jump Street, providing the offensive punch that Portland's previous front court just didn't provide. Hood's offense would make you forget what Mo Harkless didn't do and what Al Frucamino couldn't do and remind you why the Blazers chose to go with Hood this offseason over their other two options. The best case scenario means that Hood's game rounds out a little bit more with his comfort in Stotts' system, and he offers more than just shot making and fills out the stat sheet with some useful production. Rebounds and assists. I don't expect him to be a blocks and steals guy, but someone who does a little bit more than just score on mid-range pull-ups. And honestly, the best case scenario for Rodney Hood sees him develop into an above-average defender. Because he's got to be capable of being part of a defense that's solid enough to keep the Blazers in the top half of the West. And the best case scenario involves him maybe not being this all-world defender, but someone that people don't pick on. Someone that defenses don't hunt out. And someone that can, who can hold his own playing big, big minutes on the wing next to two guards who aren't necessarily good defensive players. I won't, I'll take out the necessarily. Next to two guards that aren't good on defense. Hood needs to be better than serviceable for this best-case scenario defensive prediction to play out. I usually save the worst-case scenario for second. In fact, I always do, because I'm more comfortable in pessimism, y'all. So what's the worst-case scenario for Rodney Hood? It's that all those things that the other fan bases think about Rodney Hood come true. He's an inconsistent scorer and a limited... defender who disappears for long stretches and important times. The worst case scenario for Rodney Hood is that he never gets back to that 38% three-point shooter that he was briefly in Utah, and he remains right around league average from three, and that means that he would fail to provide the spacing upside that the Blazers envisioned him when they prioritized bringing him back. A non-shooter, non-defender is worse than just a non-shooter. The worst case scenario is that Hood simply isn't up to the task of defending the best wings in the West, and so any offensive upside he might offer is immediately negated by him hemorrhaging points on the other end. That would force the Blazers to make a tough call. Bench Hood for his defensive shortcomings, or hope that he can score enough on the other end to make it worth it. But ask yourself this, in the worst case scenario I'm envisioning, is Rodney Hood, who can't stop LeBron James, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, or Giannis Antetokounmpo, actually good enough to even things out on offense on the other end? The worst case scenario for Rodney Hood is that he's an intriguing backup with some scoring potential, miscast as a high-end two-way wing, and those expectations completely miscolor his perceptions by the coaching staff, the fan base, and the media. And eventually, those type of things take a mental toll on a guy being paid like a role player, tasked with what amounts to much a much more substantial role. The worst case scenario for Rodney Hood is that he took a sweetheart deal to play a small role, 
but the role he's actually needed is far outsizes his contract and he's kind of blamed for it. I'm not saying that's fair. I'm saying that's the worst case scenario. I'd also like to say with all of these best case, worst case scenario segments that I've put together, Hood, essentially like every other player on the roster, is likely to fall somewhere in the middle. If the pendulum swings dramatically in either direction, however, it might really shift the Blazers' season. That's kind of the point of these. The Blazers really did sacrifice some defensive consistency in favor of offensive upside. Letting Al Farouk Aminu go and uh, trading Mo Harkless in the offseason in favor of a guy like Hood just says we would rather have a chance to be better on offense than a baseline of being a pretty decent defense and defensive and rebounding frontcourt. Where Hood lands in the array of possibilities is going to have a major impact on the season. If he's a passable or even above average defensive player, it's a big deal. If he's a consistent scoring option, it's a big deal. If he's neither of those things, it's a big deal. There's a lot hinging on Hood. Um, the Blazers' wing core, in my mind, is just has a lot of question marks. We haven't seen these guys do it. And as good as Hood was... In small moments, what the Blazers are asking him to do is play 80-plus games as a very high-level wing. He really hasn't done that yet in his career. He's moving into his prime. There's hope that he can. But whether he tilts towards that best-case scenario I mentioned or towards that worst-case scenario I mentioned, I think will have about as big an impact on the Blazers' roster as any of their role players. He's a big part of the plan. He's a big part of their potential success, and their potential failures. So what I want to talk about in the third and final segment, we do things in three segments here. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. But what I want to talk about in the third segment is what's a realistic role for Rodney Hood and what should your realistic expectations be? We know what I think the worst case and the best case scenarios are. We know how he got here. What's next? What is 2019-2020 going to look like for Rodney Hood? All right, still locked on Blazers, still Mike Richmond, still past first point guard. We talked Rodney Hood's 2018-19 season review. We talked best case, worst case scenarios for Hood with the Blazers. Now I want to talk about his realistic role on this team and his expectations for this year. Um, I think Hood is your day one starter at small forward. And I want to give you guys a warning. I am about to present a sample size that is far too small to be meaningful, but I'm about to do it anyways. In four games as a Blazers starter, Rodney Hood averaged 16 points per game, shot 59% from the floor and 54% from three. He's probably not going to do that 80 times a year. If he shoots 59% from the floor in 80 games, he's going to have one of the great offensive seasons in the history of the league for someone under 6'10". But I think it's reasonable that he approaches that scoring number. About 16 a game is realistic. There's a Yusuf Nurkic and Al Farouk Aminu-sized void to be filled, and someone has to score in the front court. That someone is as likely to be Rodney Hood as anyone else on the Blazers roster. I think Hood is going to play some small forward a bunch. Like I said, I think he starts there from day one. I think you see him play maybe a little bit of shooting guard if the Blazers try to go big or they just need someone bigger in in 
at the two to guard an opposing two that's giving their smaller front uh, backcourt problems. I also think he's going to play some small ball four in certain lineups. The Blazers don't have a ton of options at power forward. Rodney Hood isn't maybe an like a prototypical player at that position, but the way the league works, I think he can play against backup power forwards. I also want to note that, uh, and I don't think this is surprising, but Hood played most of his minutes without Damon CJ last year. He was uh, in a bench role. He played mostly in those second units. Um, and in when he was part of those second units, his assist rate jumped to near career highs. It was shades of that second season with Utah Jazz when he kind of looked like a pick and roll option at six foot nine. And when the star, when Blazers two star guards sat, we saw shades of Rodney Hood do that even in very small minutes, less than two hundred total minutes with the Blazers. I don't see that trend continuing all that much, mostly because Damon CJ are going to stagger more minutes in twenty nineteen. 2020 than they did last season there's not going to be just as many minutes to go around when both of them are sitting but I think it'll certainly happen some here and there foul troubles and injuries and in those minutes I think it'll be crucial for Hood to show that he has more to his game uh he can't just be a scorer in the minutes he plays without Damon CJ he has to do other stuff for this team to reach its potential I also think it's realistic to expect Rodney Hood to potentially get shifted to a bench role, at least for some of the season. Perhaps these are because of his defensive shortcomings next to Damon CJ. I mean, moving him to more of a six-man role fits his skill set better. And just from a roster standpoint, I think when you look at the projected starters and consider what's the easiest thing to tinker with, that small forward spot at least has some legitimate options with Bazemore, Kent Bazemore waiting in the wings. I don't think you can point to any of the other five spots on the roster and say, okay, let's start 39-year-old Pau Gasol. Or, okay, let's start 35-year-old Anthony Tolliver at power forward and see what happens. So if there is a rough patch in Portland's season, I think it might mean Hood gets moved to the bench. Not specifically because he won't be playing well or I anticipate him having these you know long stretches where he's bad, but I just think when you look at this group, you look at the roster, he's the easiest thing to change. Or potentially he would be. But if I had to guess how it plays out, and that's what I'm doing here. I'm guessing. I'm predicting some realistic roles. I think Hood soaks up a ton of minutes at small forward, finishing the season maybe just shy of 30 a night. And I think as a 30 minutes a night, 27 to 29 minutes a night wing, that he scores in double figures, and he's the Blazers' third leading scorer up through the All-Star break, pending whatever happens with Yusuf Nurkic and any other trades that might happen in February that could change things up. I don't know if Hood is going to be a game-changer. I'm not even sure Rodney Hood is an upgrade over their other options they've had in the past. But I know he's a better offensive player than Mo Harkless. He's a better shooter, better scorer than Alfred Camino. He's probably just a naturally better fit than Evan Turner. Not even probably. He is that. He has some versatility and some size to make him a useful three or a four. He's got some skills to play a little bit of two. And the Blazers, like I said, their wing core is kind of in question. Behind Damon CJ, who else falls in and can play well next to them? Whether it's Kent Bazemore, Rodney Hood, Mario Hazonia, Anthony Simons, or anyone else. 
is a big question mark. The power forward spot is a big question mark. Can Zach Collins play there? And if he can't, do the Blazers really have any other options? I think a lot of the Blazers' question marks, Rodney Hood is a potential fill-in-the-blank answer. That's why I can I, I think he's just going to play a massive role on this team. Whether you think that's good or bad is kind of not the point. It's just when you do the math and you look at this roster, oh, we need a little more spacing at the four. That's Hood. Oh, we need someone else who can run a pick and roll because we, we just need someone else who can dribble. That's probably a little bit of Rodney Hood. Oh, we need a bigger two because we're getting beat up by the Clay Thompson, DeMar DeRozans of the world. That might be Hood too. I don't know if he's a good solution, but I know to a lot of the questions I have about this Blazers team, he is the name I would look at. So I expect him to be a huge part of this. I expect him to be as big a part of this team as he was at that surprisingly competitive Utah team in the 2016-17 season. In a weird way, the Blazers have bet on their stars by changing the back half of the roster, but by betting on their stars, by betting on Damon CJ with better complementary parts can be better or can take them to the heights they want to go, they've put some pressure on the Rodney Hoods of the world. I think there's more pressure on the Blazers' bench this season, particularly without use of Nurkic. And by bench, I mean role players. I misspoke. There's more pressure on the Blazers' role players because with a sort of shifting a new group, the Blazers are betting that role players with more complementary skills, in theory, are better in actuality with this team. We'll see. That's going to do it for this episode, guys. I really, really appreciate you listening. If you like Lockdown Blazers, tell your friends. Chances are they'll like it too. Tell them they can get this podcast wherever they already get podcasts. Google, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. We got more Countdown to Training Camp player previews coming out this week. Stick with me. Talk to you soon.